0: Hey right, everyone.
1: Welcome to episode seven of the Backyard Banter podcast. My name is Matt Harmon. Um, if you've been listening along with the series, you know that what we're talking about on this show is is essentially how did you, you know answering the question that we always get <clears throat> in, excuse me, in the industry. How did you get your job? You know, how did you get from where you know being just a regular everyday person to being a regular everyday person that talks about football for a living? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> we've actually got a really great guest on today. Um, somebody that I have. Been a, a, a reader of a, a follower of of a lo- for a long time. It's um it's Matt Williamson he used to be a scout for the Cleveland Browns. Did a lot of work with uh it was Pittsburgh and Akron. I'm sure we'll get into that. And also most recently was with ESPN hosting the Football Today podcast. And and. Now he's working with Ryan McDowell from DLF doing the Dynasty, the Dynasty Blueprint podcast. I was just a guest on that recently. Definitely worth checking out. But Matt, how how are you doing tonight? This is a, this, I think this is the second Matt on Matt show I've done so far.
0: <laughs> nice. It's great to talk to you, man. Yeah, I mean, it's a really cool podcast that you've done. I've probably listened to about half of them. I think it's a heck of a good idea. It was great having you on our podcast. Um, I'm excited to kind of tell my story, and it's a, it's a long one. I mean, I'm 42 years old. I've been doing this now – uh, 15 years, give or take, you know, with yeah. that I haven't had a real job. You know, like you mentioned, Ryan, he's a teacher during the day. And, you know, I've never had to go that route where, you know, I, I didn't have to do something besides football once I made this my career.
1: Yeah, man. And I, and I have to say, like, your podcast, I think I've mentioned this to you privately, like, back when I was in college and I wasn't, like, writing or anything, the Football Today podcast was, like, the first – uh first football podcast I listened to, like any media that I consumed, it was like, holy shit, like, there's actually guys that talk about this intelligently, and it's not like, <laughs> it's not just like hot takes on TV, and like, it was a big, like, mind-blowing moment, and then you ended up, I think, like, so I started following you on Twitter, and like, I did, I remember when you would host the chats on ESPN, I would get in on oh, those, yeah. and and uh, it was it was through you that I actually ended up finding... Uh, on the couch because you were a guest one time, and then that's how I ended up finding like Sigmund Bloom and Matt Waldman, and uh, and was sure. like, oh my god, these are the guys I want to I want to think like this. I, <laughs> yeah, I want to be you know, I, like I want to be these guys, and like then I ended up obviously working for football guys, and now with NFL. So you uh, you know, this is the cool part about doing this show is that uh, like for me, it's still like I still think it's like the coolest thing in the world that like I get to like just talk with these guys that I've obviously been a big fan of forever and like have influenced my journey. But, and it's a cool thing I think for the listeners too, to see like, Hey, you know, this can happen to anybody. And like, you know, there's a lot to learn from each other. So um, that's enough about me. I think we'll, 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 get started talking about, about your story. So first thing I just want to ask, and I know that, like you said, you've I don't had- want to
0: interrupt you real quick, but I do oh, want to say, yeah. you know, that uh, that's an honor for you to say all those, those things. And you know, the football day podcast was awesome. I was on it for 10 years. And when I announced that I was leaving ESPN, that was right at the beginning of the year the you know right in january 1st and you you sent me a really nice note saying a lot of those things of how i helped you know kind of your path and so that's a real honor thank you for mentioning that That was very cool of you
1: yeah man i mean that's just i mean that's what this po- like that's what this podcast is all about is like you know paying it forward to other people and you know like remembering where you know where you came from because i think there's you know and you probably agree with this and you know working full-time in the industry for a long time there's a lot of people that come across as just like very paranoid about their own status and like oh i you know i don't want to help other people because they might take my spot but it's like i don't know man there's a lot of room for everybody here you know we were talking before the show about how much we're on each other's podcasts and stuff so now it's cool and like you know, it's it's important, I think, to to remember that sort of stuff and to be just be kind to each other. We've talked about that a lot on this show too. Um, so, yeah, for sure, it's my pleasure. And let's get right into it. So, I know you, like you said, you've been doing this for a long time, and you know, but how did it all like get started? Like, how did Matt Williamson come to like fall in love with football?
0: Well, being born in 1973 and living your whole life in Pittsburgh, you can kind of do the math of the Steelers were pretty big here when I was a kid. You know, I mean. 70 Steelers, I mean, changed this entire city massively, on obviously, you know. So my first memories of football were honestly the first game I remember was a huge party with my family, was the Steelers' fourth Super Bowl win over the Rams. I was six or seven years old, you know, and just thinking, man, this is so awesome. And everybody loves this game. And you know, I, I very much attribute Chuck Knoll, Terry Bradshaw, the Rooneys, Joe Green that if it wasn't for those guys, I would not be doing this for a living. I mean, I very much believe that. And, you know, growing up, I never played the game. I mean, I, I, I was always the kid on my minor league baseball team that didn't hit real well and was a slow first baseman and was okay, but never went to an all-star game. I mean, I stopped playing basketball and b- baseball and stuff by the time I was in like seventh grade. I just wasn't very athletic. And, you know, my dad kind of told Preach. me at a young age, yeah, you know, it's like, Matt, you're never going to be fast, buddy, you know, and so I always had a mind for the game, though, and I would just study as much as you ever could back then, you know, like when draft guides would come out, Kuipers guides, I, I could tell you left, you know, back in front when I was 13 years old, and, you know, back then, the draft was not on a weekend, so my mom, she's a great woman, obviously, but she was pretty hardcore, like if I had 103 fever, I was going to school, but on draft day, I stayed home every year. I mean, it was the biggest day by far of the year for me from age nine, probably until now. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, like my girlfriend, I had or my wife when she was my girlfriend. I had to explain to her like this weekend's draft weekend. Hun. I mean, don't come around. I mean, I'm busy, you know, and, and even I remember like early 80s. I used to write Chuck Noll a letter. Once a month, once every, you know, once every two months, a handful of times a year, at least. And he would write some form letter back. I mean, I remember telling him how this elaborate plan, how the Steelers should trade for Marcus Allen, you know, and I was 10 years old or something like that. So, I mean, it was the biggest deal in the world to me. I collected football cards. I watched every Steeler game. I watched, you know, football all the time and loved every second of it.
1: Yeah, it definitely sounds like, I mean, I, I I actually dated a girl in high school for over a year and her family's from Pittsburgh. They all still live there. We were, we lived in Northern Virginia. And I remember just the intensity of it. And like, I, I grew up watching football, obviously, but was never like my family wasn't like born and bred into it. And yeah. I just remember the culture of it was almost like, was was like shocking. And I remember at one, this was the, the year we were together was I think the 2008 season where the Panthers and I, cause I grew up a Panthers fan. My family's from Carolina, like they were really hot that was like the double trouble year and uh, and the steelers were really good too and i remember there was like this almost like pre contention to like like matt you know if you know you know if the, if the, these two teams meet in the super bowl like you have to like our daughter has to break up with you and like that sort of it's like that's <laughs> <laughs> like really that's a, that's, that's what it's going to be yeah uh, yeah but so yeah, i mean like it was
0: like it was ingrained that you hate the browns back then you didn't worry about the bengals um, you absolutely hated the Raiders. You know, I mean, the Raiders yeah. were the number one rival. You hate the Raiders. You hate Dallas, too. You know, like, that was ingrained as you, as you as a young kid. And even to this day, you know, during the season on a Monday, Pittsburgh's a lot different if the Steelers win or lose. <laughs> I mean, it just really is. Right. I mean, the whole tone of the city.
1: It, it is very funny thinking about that, like – those, some of those, some towns are just like that. Like there it's, you know, it is Steelers country. And like, now I live in Los Angeles and obviously the Rams are just like back out here. And like, I just could never imagine like, and I, I obviously was not around. I don't even know if I was, I, I, maybe I was alive when the Rams were in Los Angeles before, but yeah. like, yeah, but it's obviously I have no memory of that, but I can't imagine this town getting that way. So it's interesting to hear like that There some towns are just so much more like that. Um, so going from. Obviously, growing up, having it ingrained in you, being, you know, football for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like, when did you kind of realize, like, this, this is what I want to do? And then how did you start to make that dream a reality?
0: Well, I always remember, like, for example, you, it, it, it used to be, I assume it's still this way, like, whenever you apply to a college, you know, so that was 91. I graduated high school in 91. You apply to a college, and one of the questions is like an essay If you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be? I picked Tom Donahoe, who was the GM of the Steelers, <laughs> you know, like nobody wants to hang out with the scouts and the GMs. I mean, they want to hang out with Bradshaw or green or Noel, you know, like I wanted to get behind the, the, the decision makers of building a roster. I mean, I, I wanted to have dinner with Tom Donahoe and I've actually gotten to know him. He's from, he's from Pittsburgh. He's, he's from the same town. I'm, you know, the same area, Mount Lebanon that I went to. And he's given me advice over my career. He's a great person. But back then I didn't know him, you know, so I went to college for, well, a long time. <laughs> as a <laughs> as a classic underachiever, I graduated with a two point one GPA in creative writing after twelve terms. Oh, it, yeah, I mean, like I could barely do any less work to get out of there. Spent a lot That's of time in the house. Yeah, a lot of time. If it
1: makes hours. you if it makes you feel better, uh, <laughs> Eric Stoner, Eric Stoner, who was our last guest. Uh, on episode six, he said that after one year, San Diego State kindly asked him to leave. So
0: we were... I was always right above, above that line. You know, like I graduated the 2-1. If you go below a 2-0, they told you to leave. And so, I mean, yeah. I did the bare minimum. I always consider myself reasonably intelligent, but I didn't work hard at all. And did the same thing in high school, really. So when I came out of Pitt Johnstown, I wasn't really qualified. It wasn't like corporate world was beating down my door like here's a $100,000 job on Wall Street or anything but what I had worked every summer was my neighbor was an older guy and he had a pool cleaning business a swimming pool servicing business and he was like 65 70 years old and every year which was six years of me being in college I would come home make decent money and by the end you know by like the fourth or fifth summer I would have my own crew and he would say, go take care of these 10 pools today or whatever and give me the truck and I would go do it. So when I graduated high school or when I graduated college, I bought the business from him and it did very well. It's a successful business all through the South Hills of Pittsburgh, taking care of expensive pools, but I had winners off, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of pool business in December in Pittsburgh, obviously. So, you know, after a couple of of just basically goofing off, Uh, I decided, you know, what do I want to do? I have all these, I have these couple months every year. I wonder if somehow I could volunteer time and do something scouting related. And it took me a long time to even know those angles. I mean, like most people that end up in the league or as scouts or whatever, they played, they call their old coach. You know, everybody knows somebody. I didn't know a soul. You know, I just was like, I like watching the Steelers on TV. I want to be a scout. And so what was really cool is, one of the pools that we took care of is Mary Lemieux's old house, the the house that Lemieux built in, in Mount Lebanon when he came to Pittsburgh, and Ralph Sinrich bought it off of Mario, and it's it, the Stanley Cup was in that pool. I mean, and if you don't know who Ralph Sinrich is, he's one of the biggest agents at the time. He had Will Shields and Dermoni Dawson, and he played at Pitt, and you know I didn't at the time I didn't even realize how influential and powerful he was he was one of the biggest agents in the land in the nfl at the time and was very good at it and i remember him just kind of hanging around the pool one day and i'm talking to him saying you know if you have any advice could you how could i just go do something in the winters to kind of get my feet wet and learn and you know not to hog the airwaves but the next step was the first thing i started to do was he he a guy around here named joe butler he and Tom Donahoe opened a, a scouting service called Metro Scouting. And they were rivals before there was rivals. You know, like all the high school kids, Metro would grade you, and then they would sell their stuff to Pitt, Penn State, West Virginia, whatever. He had a huge camp for high school kids. And Joe knew everybody. So I started just going down to his place and sitting there watching high school tape with him three or four days a week. You know, And Ralph knew Joe and said, hey, Matt seems like he's interested. He's a smart young guy. So I just started hanging with Joe at his place, you know, watching high school tape and learning what to learn to to kind of learn from. And Joe knew a lot of people. And then, you know, I took a next step, which we can get to here. But it's, you know, that was my first actual – and I had to make a cent for it. He'd buy me like a piece of pizza for lunch, you know. And I would make copies and, you know, call coaches and, you know, just help out. But I just wanted to learn how to judge talent.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people – kind of don't realize is that you almost don't get into being a scout by being a scout. You get into being a scout seemingly by just being there. Um and we talked about the hey, Eric actually talked about this again on the last episode. He was like, if you want to be a sc- scout or like work for the NFL, like get off Twitter. Like that's not your avenue. Like go get a, you know, a, a get involved or whatever. So it seems like that's kind of you're kind of along that same path. So from there, obviously you're, you're hanging out with the hanging around with these guys, kind of starting to get your feet wet. When did you first get like an you know, an official offer or something like, like what's, what? so what's the next step?
0: Well, the next step was Seton LaSalle high school around here, which is a very good school. Jim Sweeney played there. I mean, the high school football is big around here and this is one of the better ones around said, Hey, we could really use another hand during our camps. You know, they were, they were opening um, basically training camp and Bruce Gradkowski was their starting quarterback at the time. I mean, that shows how old it was. And Bruce was oh, his, wow. senior, his senior year of high school. And, you know, he went on, did, did great things and still in the league, obviously. And I was there for like two months just helping them through training camp. And it was the first time I'd ever been affiliated with a football team. Like I said, I didn't play, you know, but I got the, the feel of things. And Greg Gattuso is, was the head coach at Duquesne. He played at Seton LaSalle and was at some practices. And he's like, Matt, hey, why don't you come help us this whole season at Duquesne, it, which is a small, you know, university around here, if you don't know. You know, Lee Bowden was on the team at the time. And I volunteered for an entire football season. And, you know, basically I did everything. You know, at at that level, like the linebacker coach and the offensive line coach, they make like $1,000. So there's a lot of practices the linebacker coach doesn't show up. So, hey, Matt, why don't you coach the linebackers today? Why don't you film practice today? I handled all the recruiting tape, you know. So I spent a season with the Duquesne Dukes not making a cent, totally volunteer, and ate ate it up like crazy. So at this time, you're you're just
1: – Right, okay. So are you – so you're basically living off what you're making in the pool business. Which is good. Spending, my wife had yeah. a really
0: – I mean my wife deserves all the credit in the world. I mean she allowed me to do all these things and she had a really good stable job. We had a house together, no kids. I was in my mid-20s. So you know, this was all gravy. So yeah, actually I, I kind of want to hit on that because it's something that I haven't really –
1: discussed with any uh, anybody yet so far but like what what is that dynamic like because i i know that i i mean i've never been in a in a serious relation well okay i was in one serious relationship when i started writing and it quickly didn't <laughs> did not work out uh for, <laughs> because that's what i do um but anyways um so I've never been in like a relationship dynamic. Obviously, I'm not married. I'm 24 years old, so not looking to be. But like what when you're like – when you're chasing that dream, when you're putting in all these extra hours, is that kind of like a, a stressful thing on the relationship if you feel comfortable talking about that
0: at all? I certainly will. And the next step is where it gets hairy. You know? <laughs> right. At Duquesne, it wasn't that big a deal. Like, yeah, I might go on a road trip when we played Iona, you know, for – but it was a bus trip and he came home that night. We didn't have kids anyways. I would go spend a day, you know, four four days a week, maybe down there during the offseason of the pool business when it was cold out. So, but then Duquesne hired a guy named Morrow Mons, who's still coaching, as their offensive coordinator. And I'm sitting there talking to Morrow, and he's like, and I'm like, well, where'd you come from? He's like, well, I was the recruiting assistant at Pitt. And he's like, you know what? They're looking for my replacement. So he called the right people over there and got me an interview. And I mean, I think I basically interviewed – there was probably 20 or 30 people interviewing for the job. Most of – them, I mean, I can guarantee 99% of them are all former players. I'm sure most of the guys played at Pitt. I know a couple of them. And Walt Harris was the head coach. And I got the gig. You know, I was the – and so they call up and they say, Matt, we're going to pick you. You're going to be our recruiting GA. I mean, I was a assistant recruiting recruiting coordinator. You know, I was a graduate assistant. So then you go have the conversation with the wife of – you know, this pool business that's making 40, 50 grand a year <laughs> and allows me to do nothing all winter. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take 12 grand a year and go be a graduate assistant at Pitt and work 90 hour weeks <laughs> and make like a quarter an hour. And so I mean, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's what that was the, the breaking point. I mean, if that, that was really the turning point because that's whenever I gave everything else up. And from that day on, I've only worked in football. I mean, every paycheck I've ever gotten since that day has been football driven. So she was like, do it. You know, I got a good job here. We don't have kids quite the opportunity. I can't believe you even got the job. I mean, not that she was saying I couldn't, but I mean, it seemed like a long shot for them to hire me and they did. And you know, and and I was there for three years and I can tell you some stuff we did there and learned. but that was the turning point.
1: That's, I mean, for one, that's pretty sick to you know, kind of ha- get that job. That's like a, you beat the odds. That's always right. Pretty, pretty empowering. And again, it was a lot of it's through the relationship that you built. And if you, I mean, had you not known that person that hooks you up with the interview, you know, it, it's what the important thing about like making connections, you know, and everything like that. But no, I mean that one that is something. That I, me,
0: I think one thing that helped me too is most of the kids that were that were I was going against for that GA job. guys that just finished playing i mean they were younger than me i mean at this point i owned a house i was probably five years older than the other gas i was you know shooting for the job against i'd owned my own business for four years and made money so i'm sure that i interviewed reasonably well you know like this guy's not a not a slapdick
1: yeah for sure Uh, uh, but that also does kind of underscore again the point that I did want to did want to have you make there about the, this the, the strength, like potential, like, like you said, breaking point of like, I gotta, I gotta ask my wife to take on or kind of a big, a big, You're leap make of any money. right. Yeah. Right. You're not going to make any money. It's going to be I'm never uh, going to be there. Yeah. It's going to be a ton of time away, but I, I, cause I think some people will face that. And like, it really does kind of have a test of like, how much does your, how much does your significant other really, you know, support your dreams? Cause they have to do, they have to, they have to play a part in that, too. And there are probably some stories that I think go the other way. Um, oh, maybe. many.
0: Most, I would say. You know, and and to her credit, she's like, if you want to do it, that's great. I'm all behind you. But she didn't even know what a first down was at that point. You know, she didn't grow sure. up watching football at all. You know, she kind of grew up farm, farmish, you know. I mean, not, not an inner city person by any stretch. And, you know, she wasn't a football fan. She didn't know what it was all about or how popular it was or what it's like to go to a pit game or whatever. But my three years at Pitt were awesome. I mean, we went to, we went to three bowl games. You know, it was – my first year was Antonio Bryant's last year at Pitt. And then the next two years were both the Larry Fitzgerald's years there. So, you know, I, I watched Larry's recruiting tape, helped recruit, helped recruit him to Pitt. Um, and by the end there, I mean, I watched, you know, Joe Flacco. I helped get him to Pitt. Um, who transferred i mean that was actually one of my best finds you know that his tape just came you know, my, my major responsibility at pit was back then you would get like 30 or 40 vhs tapes a day at pit for high school players i want to play at pit here's a something i typed up watch my highlight film and these you know and that's all i did all day was watch high high school tape and nobody knew who this flacco character was and i'm like man this kid can sling it and i took it to the head coach and you know, it all fell into place. I think we beat Ohio University on them or somebody very small, you know, but I watched Revis's high school tape and Shady McCoy was right after I was there. And Terrell Pryor was right after I was there. So I watched all those guys right after I left and, and we were a good team. You know, I mean, we had, we were the top 20 team, basically those three years. And I learned an awful lot. And Chris Lasala, their director of football operations is still a great friend of mine and was a huge influence. And just being around such a big organization and, you know, learning from the coaches and just spending all that time watching tape and got to be pretty good buddies with Larry. And you know, he he would sit there and watch with us and we'd be like, dude, we can't recruit this kid. He stinks, you know. And <laughs> uh, so it was a lot of fun. And the other perk was I don't know if you know this, but Pitt and the Steelers share a facility. So oh, really? I kinda yeah, and, and there's a, a cafeteria. So you I kind of got to know Kevin Colbert and the people over there. And I actually interviewed twice for basically the same position with the Steelers it's a, a scouting intern and I didn't get the job either time and those were like crushing blows I'm like I'm gonna die as the Fitzga. GA you know well how do you how do you
1: bounce back from that kind of disappointment because we, we've all been there like we've interviewed for jobs we haven't gotten but especially when it's something like man this is the thing that I like this is the thing this I want to be my thing yeah like, right, especially, like you grew up a Steelers fan like all that sort of stuff. So, like, how do you? It would have almost
0: been too easy. I mean, if, yeah. it, if that path would have been too easy, you know. But and yeah, it was heartbreaking. I was like, boy, I should get this job. You know, it's perfect for me. But I do know both people that beat me out for him, and they're both still in the league scouting. They're great people. They're very good at their job. So it's not like, man, I can't believe that they gave it to this jerk off. You know, it was. But what happened was after three really good seasons with Pitt, our wide receivers coach, who had coached Antonio Bryant and Larry Fitzgerald. JD Brookhart became the head coach at Akron, which is only two hours away. And he's like, Matt, you want to go be my director of football operations? So I took that job and that was the first time I had to move, which is another stress, you know, like it, it talked about was my wife stayed in Pittsburgh and I moved to Akron. So she had a house, she worked downtown Pittsburgh at PNC and made good money. And we saw each other on the weekends and, in a,
1: For people that don't know, and myself included, how far away is, is like Akron and Pittsburgh?
0: Uh, two and a half-ish, two hours, give or take. So Right. So it's a commitment to, to make the, the yeah. trek from. but luckily, JD didn't get to be the head coach at Tulsa or Washington yeah. State. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I right. mean? At least it was drivable that I could see her every weekend, and we'd go out to dinner, and I had a crappy-ass apartment that I was never in. It was like 200 bucks a month, and I just had a mattress on the floor, and a VHS recorder. <laughs> it was just garbage, you know. Um, but that was an unbelievable experience. And I was only at Akron for like eight months. And that was when Charlie Fry was there, um, Hickson, <laughs> and Chase Blackburn, a couple guys that went to the league, you know, and they were really good players at the college level, but I wasn't there during the season. So what's really weird and crazy is you get to Akron, this whole group, and at this point, We had zero recruits. We had a total, we didn't even know where the, where the, anything on campus was. I'm giving tours to campus and just learning as I go. You know, we're trying to build a recruiting class and they're trying to install offense and learn who the players are. And it's just an unbelievable hectic time. And there's not enough hours in the day. And meanwhile, I'm, you know, I'm doing things like setting all the travel arrangements for next year, you know, like booking hotels at Penn state for the opening game and figuring out the bus schedule to get us there and flights and all these kinds of things and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and not really knowing what I'm doing. Yeah. Cause it's, that seems like it's kind of a different
1: job from the, from the recruiting perspective. I didn't right? love it
0: to be honest. Yeah. I didn't love it. I mean, I still watched all the high school tape with the coaches and whatnot, but I didn't like the, you know, like I organized Akron's pro day, right. Know, which, which was huge, because I got to know a lot of scouts.
1: Yeah, it definitely seems like it's a good opportunity to meet people, but I could see, yeah, that would not be, slow. like, you're basically an event planner, in, in a way, I mean, like, that sort of You do of thing.
0: everything that the head coach doesn't want to do. <laughs> that's, <laughs> a, that's what J.D. told me. He's like, you can do everything I don't want to do. I'm like, that's, that's a, <laughs> yeah, thick <laughs> So, I mean, but that actually made a little bit of money, you know, I mean, yeah. I made 35 grand as the director of football ops, you know, so it wasn't like I was making twelve grand a year anymore. So it was like, okay, I mean, I'm a guy now. You know, I mean, this is – I can at least buy – It's a big uh, thing to
1: put on the resume. Kind
0: right, of too. right, exactly. And one of the things while we were there, the Browns are only – or Cleveland's only half, half an hour away from Akron. And one of the things we wanted to do was one of our goals was let's develop a relationship with the Browns, you know, so we can go there and watch tape or – you know, hit them up for advice. And that kind of goes back to the Pitt Steelers thing it was, it was a pretty nice resource for the Panthers to have Steelers next door. And I, I used it like crazy in recruiting. Like, Hey, let's, let's see what's going on outside. Oh, the Steelers are practicing. I didn't know there's Ben, you know, if you're a 16 year old kid in Pittsburgh, that goes a long way. So yeah. that was something we did. We started to reach out to the Browns just to kind of build a relationship there.
1: And that is, that's your next stop, right? Is, is right. with Cleveland. So how do we? So how do we get from Akron to Cleveland?
0: So the GM of the Browns, Pete Garcia, at the time, and Butch Davis was the head coach. They had just taken over the Browns after wildly successful seasons at the at the U. And Butch was the defense coordinator for Jimmy Johnson's with the with the Cowboys and all kinds of the U. And they were the U. You know ties there. You know Trudzinski was the tight ends coach and Pagant. You know, Pagano, Pagano was a defensive backs coach. And, um, I mean, we had a lot of head coaches on that team and a lot of really strong coaches. But anyways, that's not what you asked. You know, I had talked to their GM, and he said, you know, you have a lot of guys coming through there. We're looking for a scout. Do you know of anyone? And I'm like, yeah, me. You know? yeah, all right. I'm like, I, I'll, I'll drive there right this second. So he interviewed me, and – it was like a day-long interview. It was very cool. You know, you, you bounced around. I, mean, I sat down with Butch for an hour. I, I sat with different, you know, position coaches. And they stuck me in a dark room for a couple hours. And I remember I watched two games of Andre Davis, who was their, one of their linebackers, two games of somebody else that was in the league that was going to be a free agent, and a college kid. And I had to write reports. They just gave me, like, a notebook and a pencil. And I wrote reports on all three of them of what I thought. And a couple days later they call me and I got that job and I beat a lot of people for that job. <laughs> I mean, not to yeah. brag, but I mean, that was a, you know, I mean that they were, they were interviewing a lot of people and I got it.
1: I, I happily welcome bragging on this podcast. You're allowed, you're allowed to brag about yourself, especially, you know, I mean, that, no, that's, I, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's so when you're with the Browns, I mean, I think, people kind of tend to know what an NFL scout does, but I actually kind of like you mentioned the reports you were writing. What, like what's the difference between a media like scouting report and an NFL scouting report? Is there a difference or like, what, like what does that look like?
0: Much different. They're a lot longer. Well, they're a lot more team specific too. That's, you know, you, you know, if you listen to like Daniel Jeremiah or Bucky Brooks or any of those guys that did that too, they'll all say a hard transition was, you know, A 4-3 end is like, for example, when I was there, we went through in typical Browns fashion. I saw I was there for 365 days. I was there from the day after they drafted Kellen Winslow, you know, from the U and from the day after we drafted Braylon Edwards, third overall. So I was in the war room and all that for the Braylon Edwards draft, which happens to be the Aaron Rodgers draft. Alex Smith went first that year, Ronnie Brown, um, and What was crazy is during my year there, we lost a lot of football games. Butch got let go, I think, like week 10 or 11. He was replaced by an interim coach, Rabisky, and then Romeo took over. So my 365 days, I saw two GMs and three head coaches, which (laughs) is kind of how it still goes in Cleveland. Yeah. But in a way, I mean, like – and under Butch, in typical, you know, you fashion – we ran a pretty strict 4-3. You, know, you know, we had a, a, a three technique, a nose tackle, a, a Mike, a Will, a Sam. And, and then Romeo comes in from New England, and basically all that scouting that we did was, wasn't useless, but it was a totally different system. And we had to look at all the same players through different eyes again. You know, so that's one of the many problems with turnover in the league. And the Browns are obviously the worst example ever. But I also was kind of a different type of scout, too. I had about 20 colleges, and I cross-checked a lot of the tight ends and a lot of the first-round type guys. And I was also in charge of the CFL, the Canadian Football League. And I told them to go get Cameron Wake, but everybody got fired, and we kind of forgot about that. And I also was in charge of the NFC West, which, for those that don't know, there's a GM There's a director of pro scouting and there's a director of college scouting. Well, I answered to both those guys and they're very different. You know what I mean? So I watched every snap of the Seahawks, Rams, Niners, Cardinals. And if somebody would happen to become available, I had to, you know, run up to our director of football or pro scouting and be like, their you know, third guard that they just cut is better than one of our guys. Let's pick them up off waivers or, you know, all these guys are about to be free agents. I had to have grades on all those guys. So, I had to have a grade on everyone in the NFC West, three hundred, you know, all at all times.
1: That's a lot. That's a lot of players for sure. So how many, like, about uh, when you're when you're scouting for the Browns for the year there, like, how many hours a week are you working generally? Like, because still, well,
0: still I, I I went to Cleveland. My wife stayed in Pittsburgh, so I never had any reason to go home. So I was there a lot. I mean, ninety hour weeks all the time. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. because I had nothing else to do and you wouldn't know this but nfl organizations make it very easy for you to hang out there too you know like i would put my dry cleaning in my locker and it would come back you know i would get your hair cut there you know <laughs> and this is actually kind of a funny story is my boss on the pro side was jeremy green dennis green's son and he's actually how i got the espn well he comes upstairs and i'm like just get a haircut he's like yeah man i just got a haircut they, they're every Thursday and Friday is haircut day here. Then you go down the locker room where the players are and you get a haircut. I mean, they make it very easy for you not to ever leave the building. You know, there's ice cream on hand at all times. I mean, there's so much food. You can't even believe it. So I go down there and I'm standing in line and finally everyone's kind of chuckling. I'm like, what the heck's going on here? You know, it's Thursday and I finally, it's my turn. I sit down and I realize I'm the only white dude in the room. (laughs) and they all start laughing at me. They're like, dude, the white the white barber comes on Fridays, man. You know? I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. I guess that adds up. You know, like he's like, I wouldn't know what to do with your head. You know, I'm like, oh, man, okay. So everyone's just kind of chuckling at my expense as I'm standing there in line for half an hour or whatever. But all kinds of things like that you would never think of, but there's, you know, the facility's awesome.
1: Yeah, that that sounds pretty sick. Um that's funny too. It's a good
0: story. But we were um, terrible. I mean, we we won two right. games and we got fired.
1: Well, okay. So before we get to the the getting the getting fired part, like how much? I because you hear this all the time, and I I want to convey this to to listeners too, especially if there's anybody listening out there and they want to get in the league. Like, it's not a glamorous job, right? I mean, as much as you'd think of like, oh, you know, you're an NFL scout. Like, what is like, what is traveling
0: the, stinks. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I was never full time on the road like an area scout, but I can't imagine being a West Coast scout because those schools are so far apart. You know, I mean, yeah. like, you know, I, I did everything basically within I, I went from like you know, considering if you where Cleveland is, I went from Syracuse, Boston College, Maryland. I'm trying to think how far I'd went basically. And one of our rules was, if it's six hours drive or less, you drove it. If it's more than six, you fly. So I basically had like a six hour radius of the schools that I went to, um, you know, but those aren't that far apart. I mean, you could do, but you, know, you could do West Virginia and then do Pitt, for example, the next day. But some of these ones on the West Coast are, you know, 15 hours apart or whatever. So it's crazy. you get to a, You get to a college, spend all day there watching tape and talking to people and watching practice. And then you drive like crazy. to The next school, get to a hotel, write reports, sleep, get up early, rinse, repeat. Everything's like Groundhog Day.
1: Yeah, that's pretty wild. That's what I had imagined it would be. And I mean that, obviously, when when I decided I wanted to work and you know wanted wanted to try to pursue a career in football, the one thing I was like, I don't think I could ever do that. That just yeah. doesn't, yeah. You know and i was lucky
0: enough because i was in the facility a lot you know i mean all the pro stuff is in the building it's just tape work i would watch the rams game over and over and you know walter jones he's really good orlando pace he's really good and so when i was on the road i was new to it but it wasn't exclusively what i did yeah but i also was involved in like you know whenever you bring in free agents during the week and you try them out you know i did stuff like that too and you know we would talk to agents and you know, they were always calling, saying, "Hey, my guy got cut from the Bears. Can we bring him in for a workout? Maybe you guys could use him." You know, which we often could because we had one of the worst rosters in the league. Right. So uh, obviously,
1: you mentioned everybody. Everybody gets fired. Organizational. It's Cleveland. Organizational turnover, and like that's right. what that's what happens, right? I mean, like when when regimes change, usually guys like 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 yourself, like just just another scout, usually just end up out of a job. Not because not because of your performance, but just because that's that's like what happens.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, and I totally got it. I mean, I didn't take it personal at all. You know, by the time – when we were in that war room, that was the year we took Braylon, I said, you know, third overall. And, and Phil Savage was in charge of the room, and, and I learned a ton from him. I mean, he's really good talent evaluator. In terms of anyone I've ever watched deal with players, I thought he was the best. And I thought his scouting reports just, you know, were, were very fluid, and they were very easy to listen to. They weren't choppy, and, you know, they really – Told a story with the scouting reports, so that's you know, rare I,
1: even from the media side. I see oh, a lot absolutely, of out there that write scouting reports. It's like this is terrible to Carb, read, garbage,
0: choppy. Yeah, and so I learned a ton from him. And the day after we selected Braylon, actually, kind of a little story too was one of my jobs. You know, on the last day of the draft was, hey, Matt, you have ten thousand dollars to give out in bonuses. We need three receivers to bring in undrafted, and I brought in Josh Gribbs. You know, so that's a home run. You know, I, I yeah, like, I gave him like, I gave him like $9,900 and the other two, I have no idea who they were and in Cribs was in Kent state. And I got Paul Warfield, who's a hall of famer, was one of our scouts to get on the phone with Cribs and we nailed him. So that was, that was huge. So actually a lot of my Steeler friends around here give me a hard time because Cribs used to kill the Steelers and that was my fault.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's pretty funny. And I know I've, I've heard you mention this too, like, cause that is kind of funny that, you know, you, you from pittsburgh you grow, grow up following the steelers and you end up scouting for the browns like the damn browns of all things And i think right. i remember like hearing you say on a like a football today podcast at one point um like you'd get all this free shit from the browns obviously oh, so like, much you can't give it all you can't give it away because none of your friends want it
0: my wife's the only one that i know that would wear browns gear even though i was employed there you know i'd <laughs> send my buddies browns christmas cards and they'd rip them up or piss <laughs> on them or something you know I mean, but but meanwhile we were the worst team in the league, and the Steelers were 15-1, and one, and it was Big right. Ben's rookie year. I mean, like, we weren't a big threat. Yeah, so. no kidding. <laughs> but, you know, Phil sat me down right after the draft and said, I'm bringing in my guys from the Ravens, and so be it. And then was, there was about a month there that I was worried that I might be out of football, though.
1: Yeah. But you weren't. You, so next step is ESPN, right? I mean, how did, like you mentioned, I think you said Danny Green's son, or, or something, yeah. he played a role in that.
0: He did, and Jeremy Green, he's now actually in jail, and you know that's a long story, and he's no longer uh, around. But he, he, and Todd McShay, and a handful of other people started Scout's Inc. Do you remember Scout's Inc. like ten years ago? Yeah. And he basically said, "Hey, do you want to do some work for us?" You know. So I started writing scouting reports for them. After about two months of working with my uncle and who's uh, in construction. And I absolutely hate that. I mean, I was just making some bucks. I didn't know what to do. And Jeremy called and he said, you know, Hey, we need a guy at Scouts Inc to, you know, start doing stuff with us. And the owner of Scouts Inc started to really like me. And fortunately the timing was awesome. Was like two months after I started with them, ESPN bought Scouts Inc. So all those guys that started Scouts Inc became, very, very wealthy. You know, I mean, it was a home run for them business-wise to have their small company bought by such a big company, but it gave me a job, you know, and it was by far the best pay I'd ever got. And I'm like, this is great. I'll work for ESPN. You know, they never go two and 14. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and the way we set it up then was Jeremy was like the director of, of pro scouting. We had another former scout who was like the second guy. And I was kind of like the third guy in charge. And as people left and as my my star kind of grew, you know, I kind of became the top dog there for a while. And then they kind of erased all the scouts inc stuff. And I just became, you know, the ESPN employee that a lot of people remember and like you remember. And you know, Jeremy started football today. And I used to be a regular guest. Every Friday I would break down games with him. And then when he went when when he went bye-bye, I took over the, the whole thing by myself and kind of saved the podcast. And then you know, Ross came on and then Roflow and you know, and like you said, I did a lot, I did everything you can imagine at, at ESPN chats and every kind of article you can write and some fantasy. And you know, I, I often tell this story and I was telling it last night too, that it was like my third or fourth year at ESPN. And I'm like, let's go to go to a couple of the editors. And I'm like, Hey, you know, if you want, I'll do some fantasy stuff for you guys too. I've been playing you know fantasy my whole life. And they're like, Williamson, you were in the league, man. You're you're way above that. You can that would just you're way too overqualified for fantasy. That's not you know, that's beneath you. Like and I, don't know.
1: Anyway, yeah, I remember you I remember, yeah, I remember you telling that story in one of the Dynasty Blueprint podcasts recently, and and I had to I was <laughs> driving home from work and I had to laugh because I mean, even even still, like obviously, uh I hope no hope none of my employers are listening to this, but no, I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna say anything that bad but you know uh, as much as fantasy's grown like it's still completely the red-headed stepchild like at work you know like it's
0: it's oh i bet at your place you know. Know. yeah oh yeah oh yeah for sure you know there's a lot over of, like, at espn you know how many insider yeah. subscriptions they sold because of fantasy i mean it was gigantic
1: oh absolutely well and that's another thing too that i think uh again i'm like heavy subtweeting so many people at work right now but like uh you know that's the thing i think people don't realize like you know people only read your news shit because they want to know what's going on with their fantasy players right like <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> there's so much of that and and that's just it is really funny how how things have progressed so quickly and like i mean fantasy is the biggest money maker like i can i can i can guarantee you I can guarantee you for a fact, like we bring in more traffic fantasy than, than any of the other portions of NFL.com. But it's still like, oh, yeah, 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 Same yeah, with yeah, ESPN, right. absolutely, right? Yeah, it's like, it's like, oh yeah, 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 fantasy over there. You're just just st- sit in your corner and start cranking out more content. Right, you don't know that, what we're, you're talking that, about. We're, right. that we're not going to that we're not going to put on the homepage. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway,
0: <laughs> but it was a great ten years at ESPN, and as most people know, they had massive budget cuts lately, and a lot of us weren't brought back. So I lasted ten years, which is a lot longer than most people. Um, the majority of the people I worked with when I got there were no longer there and yeah. it's been great since. I mean, I, I'm still churning it out.
1: 10 years is, is, is pretty impressive. So essentially again, kind of, you know, just budget cuts is, is that, and, and everything like that, that's got, but that's got to still be pretty, was there any moment where that was kind of tough, you know? At, Cause I would have. Oh, imagine. sure.
0: Cause it was very good money. It was very stable. I had done it yeah. for 10 years and it almost got to the point there too, that I kind of became a guy without a home you know like i near the end there i didn't even know who i reported to because do i report the nfl do i report the podcast do i report the fantasy so i was kind of like a nomad and i was doing a little of each so you could see where none of those you know situations would necessarily like jump on the table that we can't lose matt although podcasting did but I am all my budgets were coming from ESPN.com and podcasting is radio. It's just such a big organization that it's hard to podcasting basically got me for free for 10 years and they couldn't come up with you know, enough to just keep me by myself or whatever. I don't know all the details, but whatever. I mean, row moved on. I guess that the uh, yep. football day podcast has changed quite a bit, but, um, so yeah, be I'll be honest
1: I mean, with you. I don't, I don't subscribe anymore. Really? <laughs> now that you're, now that you're gone, I, I don't, I don't listen anymore. So Sorry. I'm not
0: bashing anyone, but I get a no, yeah. tweet a day saying it's not the same. I'm unsubscribing. I miss you. So whatever. I mean, that's cool. Um, but it, it again, it was a great ten years. I don't have any hard feelings. If they called me next year and say, hey, we'd love to have you back, I would be all yours.
1: Yeah, for sure. So now, now you're essentially just like a, a gun for hire. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Yeah doing the dynasty blueprint how like how much how much different is that than being cuz i mean obviously that's what i was doing that's what i was doing before i came you know got the nfl job and it is a completely i would i would say personally it's a it's a completely different like working experience but is it how, how much of a change has it been
0: a lot and you know, i'm writing for today's pigskin i'm writing for the score and they're both really growing and they're putting a lot of money into their nfl Departments and they're honestly very thrilled to have me. I mean, I, I'm a name, and I'm bringing them a lot of. Recognition oh yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: And and I'm also talking to other people still, and it wouldn't shock me if I hooked on to somewhere a little bit more well known in the next you know year or so. Um, but everything's by the article, so I mean, I'm it, it, the money's starting to be very very similar now. But and I'm pumping out articles like crazy though. I mean, if you look at my Twitter timeline anymore, it's like. You know, here's a thousand words on this. Here's a thousand words on that, and it doesn't mean I'm hustling more. It's just they're loving it, and I'm doing more and more and more. Where ESPN might be like, you know, hey, give us your normal t- typical Tuesday one. You get to be more of a routine where now it's like I'm a little bit more on call.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. That 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 is a big difference to doing it by the article thing. So, I mean, yeah, it's a hell of a story though. I mean, it is. You know, I know it's a
0: long one, and I hope I kept people's interest. But it's a very unconventional uh, method of getting where I did. And in terms of people getting in the league or even GA or working for big colleges, there's nobody I knew in all my years, with the exception of one guy and you may have heard of him, Ben McAdoo, who's now the head coach of the giants. He and I, we were graduate assistants at Pitt. He's the only one I knew that never played football, you know, competitively and
1: got anywhere in this league. Right. That is pretty interesting. So I mean, yeah, but you, you held like, you kind of held a a different position in every sort of spot. Like you did, you went around a lot. What was, what, I mean, I don't want to say like, I guess, what was your, like, what was your favorite thing you, like, what's your favorite job title you had? Was it the one at ESPN or like, what's, 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 what's kind of stuck with you the most?
0: At ESPN, because I mean, deep down, I worked from home for 10 years. I mean. I wear workout shorts every day, you know, so I see, I see my kids a ton, you know, like I loved working for a team. I miss game day. I miss going down to the weight room and lifting with the guys and then making fun of you, how little you can lift and, you know, (laughs) and getting to know people and players and equipment guys and having that team atmosphere. But the trade-off is I see my kids all the time. You know I mean? I I see too much of them, if anything. So that's a good trade-off for me. I mean, I'm not anxious it would take a lot for me to go back to the league and never be home.
1: Yeah, I would imagine. So, like, yeah, I know people. There was a there was an article surfacing around recently that like, um, that the, the Eagles or somebody had tried to pluck Jan- Daniel Jeremiah or something. And I was like, man, I, I know, I know, like DJ's gig in and inside and out. Like yeah. this whole setup.
0: He does my job at the Browns. When I got oh, when wow. I got to let go at the Browns, he came in the next week as a scout
1: from. Yeah, that's, yeah, he's that's a good guy. Yeah, he's, he's very nice. Uh, yeah. I, I think we've bumped into him a few times here and there. But, but yeah, I know he's got, a, he's got a real good setup with us here. Yeah. I would imagine it would take a lot to pry somebody like that back to the NFL. So I mean, I Todd used to ask NFL me
0: moment. all the time, you know, what was it like being with the Browns? You know, he, he, that's it, like the one thing he hasn't done. He's been scouting forever, but he's never scouted for a team. I'm like, dude, your gig's way better than that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it pays way better. I mean, I wouldn't consider moving if I were you. But no, yeah. I mean, uh, what I'm doing, and I feel like, not to pay, and to go back to a quick brag, I mean, I feel like at this stage in my life, having done this for 15 years or in the media now for my 11th year, I feel like I'll probably, um, not that I'm safe or I can rest on my laurels, but I can do this the rest of my life and make money. You know, like, I think I've kind of made it, you know?
1: No, I, I understand that. And there's definitely, once you get, because, I mean, like anything, I'm the NFL even more so than media, but... There's definitely, a like, you know people. You know, there's a network. Like, right. I've, I've said, you know, I've only been in, I've only been on the scene, um, you know, for, I mean, I've only been in NFL for, I guess, you know, eight months or so, but I've been, like, people know, people knew who I was before that, and, like, I know that if I, if for some reason, like, I quit this job at NFL, like, I've already had people, you know, I have, and again, I'm not trying to brag on myself, but I, right. but we're, we're, that's what this podcast is about, it's about bragging about yourself, <laughs> but, like, I know,
0: I know that if NFL, like,
1: Right, yeah, exactly. It really, I just always bring people on, just some like somehow like compliment me for at least five seconds. Right. But
0: sneak in all the good stuff you do.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right, sure. <laughs> but but I know that. Yeah, if I, if I like, if I decide I was like, I don't want to work for NFL anymore, and I like tweeted out, I already know like I've had people tell me that like yeah, I'd get get picked up somewhere else in, in like three and a half seconds. So I mean, yeah, it's there's definitely a hey, status. You're said
0: than done. I mean, I was told that for ten years too, and then it yeah, right has to be an opening. But along Absolutely. those lines, after pounding on doors and talking to – I've talked to all the big sites, as you can imagine, but none of them are like, who are you again? They were like, yeah, if we have a spot, we'll hire you. I mean, you know you know, what I mean? Like it was never like, hey, right. can you write a resume and tell me some stuff you did? And they know who you are.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I guess just kind of like closing out here, what's – what's the one piece of advice you would, would you would give some to somebody like somebody ask you, you know, and like I said, we get this, we get this question all the time. And, and I think your story speaks for itself, but like one grand overarching theme, like if there's one thing you could convey to somebody that wants to get a job either with the NFL or even in media, like what's the, what's the, like the serious one thing you would like hammer home to them.
0: Now, the three things that stand out from my path were I was very lucky. You know I mean? I, I certainly had some bounces that went my way. I mean, if Ralph Sinnerch wasn't a customer and didn't buy Lemieux's house, I probably would have never known anybody. You know what I mean? Like right. a, a lot of people, but I also made my own luck too. I mean, I was also extremely ambitious and I worked extremely, extremely hard. And I also had extremely good backing, you know, especially my wife, my parents, everybody else, you know, they were like, Hey, you're going to take a shot at your dream and, you know, go for it. And so all those three three things were huge. Um, but I think you absolutely have to look at it and say, I might not make any money for a while. You know, I mean, I made a thousand dollars a month for a long time.
1: Yeah. It's, it's hard. I mean, even trying to live off like freelance writing is, is, is difficult and everything like that. Yeah. And it, 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 like you said, unless, until, until you reach like a certain status and people know you and they want to pay you well, like if you're just nobody off the street, it's hard to command. It's hard to command money. It's hard to command attention. That's for sure. But no, I mean, that makes and a lot of to sense. Start
0: your own stuff too. You know, like, Hey, I'll just start my own podcast. You know, like, yeah. Fortunately, people followed me, and but if I was Joe Blow off the off the street, I was going to listen to your podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. I mean, and your website too. Like, you got to got to do something to stand out. Like, if you're not if you're not a name, like nobody's going right. to go to you. You know, nobody ca- like I think we talked we talked about this in previous episodes too. Like, nobody cares about you know John Smith's fantasy football rankings like there's a thousand ones no, out there. Right. yeah <laughs> like that's what sort of you have to you have to make unique content i think that literally comes up every episode um and i would assume that's like, a huge
0: part with you i mean the reception reception put you on the mat
1: oh yeah that was it i mean yeah. before that i was before that i was just trying my hand at like you know do it like just trying to write like everything you know opinion pieces i was doing power rankings which it's like really nobody cares nobody gives a shit about matt Harmon's power <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, back in like 2013 like okay so you have the browns at uh 29 don't care what you think like the, you're nobody and, right. yeah right and that's that is an important thing for people to remember and and i can't yeah i can't stress that enough it's when it is when when reception perception happened, that's when football guys happened. That's when optimum sure. scouting I was working with for a while. So and then you know things snowballed from there, right. you know, especially last off season. Then people like Kevin Silva hear about you and tweet, you know, that sort of stuff. I mean, that's that how that is. How, that is how you get on the radar if you're if you're a nobody like I was starting out. But
0: but like yeah, you could I mean, work, like I said, you have to be ambitious. You have to work super hard, but don't work dumb either. I mean, don't just start right. putting power rankings out and think somebody cares.
1: Right, like you can spend uh, you could spend plenty of time constructing really long, in-depth power rankings, and you know spend four hours on on that or whatever, and writing it really well, being well-spoken. But yeah, nobody cares. But if you come up like s- spend those extra four hours, like you know watching watching game film or like going over form like athletic testing formula or something, and trying to find something that nobody else is talking about is way more worth your time.
0: Oh yeah, um, and if you're in college. Go knock on the on the director of football operations door at whatever university you're at and say, "Hey, can I clean jock straps? You know, can I do anything? You know, I mean, because you when you're in school, you have an opportunity there that they might get hired. You could be around the team, you know. And and once you're in, then you get the next gig. You know, I mean, you said you need to get in the building of a team, and that goes a long way.
1: Yeah, I imagine that definitely makes a big difference. But so yeah, Matt, um, any other closing parting shots? I mean, other uh, told a great story.
0: Yeah, yeah just, this was a lot of fun. And I i don't know that, you know, in all my time that I've been on the air in the last 10 years, I mean, I've told bits and pieces of my story, but I don't think I've ever done start to finish, you know, and well, start till now. Um, so thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think people will really learn a lot from from your perspective. I know we had Josh Norris on. He spent some time with the NFL, with an NFL team, but like you definitely were like he was like an intern or something, but you were like a legit mm-hmm. NFL, NFL scout. So you're, you're a big get for the podcast. So I, I appreciate <laughs> <Thanks. you. laughs> I, I appreciate you coming on and everything. And, yeah, like I said, I've been following Matt's work for a long time. Still do. Like, yeah, make sure you guys follow him too on Twitter, at WilliamsonNFL. But um, that's it for today's episode. Again, I always really appreciate everybody listening, and I hate you know going over the promotional stuff. But, I mean, if you do like the show – Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating or a review on Stitcher, all that sort of stuff. I'm actually, I'm not going to say, but I'm we might have a pretty, pretty, really exciting guest coming next week, so I'm very nice. excited. About, yeah, so I'm, I'm pumped about that. Hopefully that works out. So, you know, definitely stay tuned, subscribe to the podcast. We got a lot more coming up. And again, I want to thank everybody for listening, and I hope you learned something today.